Lisa Kay, connecting the community on Talk of the Town. Back in the KTOE studios, Talk of the Town. My name's Lisa Kay. It's time for our Focus on Ag, and we've got Farm Management Analyst and Senior Vice President from MinStar Bank, Kent TC, on the phone with us to talk a little ag today. Kent, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, just kind of like everybody else, uh, waiting for spring to come, I think. Uh, it's been a long <laughs> winter with all this snow. Which is so weird, because what kind of Minnesotans would we be if we didn't talk about the weather a little bit? And I think that's kind of where we're going to start today. Not only do we have this continued snowfall and more snow expected this week, but uh, some rain last week, kind of weird precipitation going on, a little bit of uh, of warm weather and melt. And I was wondering how that's going to affect people, what the impact is on our producers with the moisture. Well, certainly um, the moisture is good. I mean, we came in the or came out of last fall very dry in this area, not, not just for farmers and soil moisture, but our most of our rivers and streams and lakes were at very low levels. And certainly any precipitation and the fact that we've had probably, you know, 25% more snow than normal and still adding more to that total here in March, along with some rain, as you mentioned, uh, is certainly going to help... Uh, replenish some of those rivers and streams and uh yeah i don't think the frost is real deep in some areas so as we get this melt uh i think we'll restore some stored soil moisture as well uh you know from a producer standpoint if you're a livestock producer out there uh march is typically a big time of the year if you're if you have some beef cows you're doing some calving or other livestock, it becomes very messy around the yards to deal with livestock, uh, loading, unloading, hauling feed in. And for crop farmers, uh, a lot of crop farmers like to take advantage of the early March period to uh, haul some grain in, uh, corn and soybeans that were probably pre-priced to ethanol plants and grain elevators, soybean processing plants. And uh, the yards get very messy, and it's very difficult sometimes to get semis in and out. And uh, also, uh, as we keep getting the snow, of course, you got to move snow. And in many cases, uh, there's a lot of snow piled up around yards, so uh, limited on where you can move that snow to. So a few more challenges than we have had in recent years uh, for an early March period. And what kind of an impact is this going to have on the drought as we move forward? And how much do we need to make sure kind of, you know, either soaks in or dries up? What's the case there um, before spring planting? Well, I think the good news is uh, for the first time here in the last uh, U.S. drought monitor update that came out, our region uh, was taken off the drought monitor. And uh, we've been on that for probably since early last summer. And so that was good news, and that means that they uh, are seeing enough moisture to uh, feel good about that. I, uh, obviously, uh, the growing season, uh, how much goes into the soil and the stored soil moisture situation, we'll have to wait and see once the frost goes out and monitor that. <clears throat> as far as spring planting, obviously, once we turn the calendar to March, we start to think about spring planting. Uh, Ideally, we'd like to uh, start planting corn by the middle of April, 15th to 20th, 25th of April. And certainly that's a long ways away and a lot could change. But as we continue to uh, see the uh, heavy snow cover on the fields and continue to get more snow, uh, obviously 
I think uh, growers start to, farmers start to think about that a little bit more. And it was interesting this weekend, I had a chance to travel down into central Illinois. And uh, once you get about 30 miles south of the Minnesota-Iowa border, there is no snow. So <laughs> it changes quite rapidly. Even down in the I-90 corridor, uh, there's open spots in the field. So a lot different than it is in the immediate uh, Blue Earth-Nicollet County area here. So we'll just wait and we'll see. We'll have to wait and see when that frost goes away then. Um, so we've got some time. Yeah, we definitely do. Uh, we've got to uh, talk a little bit about the report of county yields. There's a, is it NAS report? Right. The National Ag Statistics every year in late February comes out with their uh, county yield estimates from the previous year. And it takes that long to get the data in <clears throat> to uh, come up with those estimates. And those estimates... Uh, do have some impact because uh, with the farm program, uh, the ARC, what's called the ARC County program, which is based on average county yields, those yields get pumped into that system. And the same with, uh, they uh, kind of correlate them with uh, crop insurance yields, uh, RMA yields. So uh, for area coverage uh, crop insurance programs. So these county yields are important. And uh, the county yields were very favorable for our area. Actually, uh, in Minnesota, there were 23 counties that were above uh, 200 bushels an acre. The statewide average yield was 195, which was also a state record, uh, one bushel higher than 2017, and compares to 177 a year ago. So uh, definitely a big change. But in our area... um, the highest yield in the state last year was 224.7 down in Martin County, just south of the, here, the Fairmont area. Then we had 221.5 in Dodge County. And the third highest yield in the state was actually Blue Earth County at 219.8. Then hmm. Mauer County at 218 and Steele at 217.3. But several other area counties exceeded 210 bushels an acre, including uh, Faribault, Freeborn, Lesseur, rice, Wasika, and Watanwan in the area here. So very good deals. Now on the soybean side, Minnesota's uh, uh, average yield or statewide yield was 50 bushels an acre, <clears throat> but there were 15 counties that exceeded 60 bushels an acre. And the top yielding county was Steele County at 63, but Blue Earth County was second at 62.5. Uh, others in the top five, Martin County at 62.4, Winona 62.2 and Olmstead 62. And uh, there were several other counties in the area here that topped 60 bushels an acre, including Faribault, Freeborn, Lesseur, Rice, Wasika, and Watanwan. So, again, our area, we caught some timely rains. Uh, if you look at Minnesota, you go in the western third of the state, and the yields tended to drop off. And the same was true in Iowa. The stronger yields were definitely in the uh, uh, central to eastern part of the state. And so, uh, uh, again, weather plays a big factor in how those yields play out from year to year. Now, you mentioned earlier that we were taken off the drought monitor. Was the impact evident here on this particular report? Well, it you know, I, obviously the drought monitor uh, uh, did play a factor because uh, as we watched last year, the uh, drought intensity uh, increased. Uh, Nebraska had their worst yields in over a decade, mm. and so did South Dakota. And uh, that that drought impact uh, really showed up in the northwest Iowa. 
and in in the southwest Minnesota, some of the counties that normally have very strong yields in southwest Minnesota were down considerably on their corn and soybean yields, and uh, that again does show the impact of the drought. Now, obviously, as we look ahead to this year, that's uh, we have some concern because our stored soil moisture, uh, as we uh, went into winter, was fairly low, and that, that's why we're going to be really monitoring how much of this. Uh, snow cover we have and the moisture we have uh, soaks into the soil and helps replenish that stored soil moisture. Uh, that becomes very critical as we get uh, later in the growing season when the corn and soybeans are at their max use of moisture and from late June to early August. Always such a game with wanting and needing the moisture but not too much. Right. It's a battle. It really is. Uh, (laughs) There's always a a sweet spot there between getting uh, uh, too much moisture or not enough. And a lot of it is timeliness, too. Obviously, uh, planning a date is important to get it planted on time to get good yields. But then uh, during the growing season, I I think that's one of the keys in our area why you saw counties like uh, Blue Earth and Wasika and Faribault County, Martin County get the bigger yields, was the timeliness of the rainfalls, not uh, not only the amount of rainfall, but the uh, when they came at critical times. Focus on ag today here with Kent TC, farm management analyst and senior vice president from MinStar Bank, who's got a, a great newsletter that you can get in your email. We'll tell you about in just a bit. I know that we are kind of in the beginning, the very beginning period, end of February. I think they started the uh, the um, CRP sign up. Is that correct? Right. Uh, the Conservation Reserve Program. Uh, <clears throat> they they announced another general sign up. USDA did starting February 27th, and it goes through April 7th. And you sign up at local FSA offices, and, you know, the, any landowners that have land that they want to be have considered into CRP. Now, this is the general CRP is a bidding process, and so they evaluate it on <clears throat> what they call the Environmental Benefits Index, uh, each bid, and that looks at, uh, the benefits for soil erosion, improving water quality, improving wildlife habitat, and uh, and they've added in uh, carbon sequestration as well now into that mixture. And then they look at the amount of dollars bid, and uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the maximum CRP acres nationally that can be accepted is uh, 27 million acres, and right now I think there's like 23 million in so there is some room to add some more acres into CRP. Now, they also have a continuous CRP program, which allows landowners that got really sensitive land, like near rivers and streams and lakes, wetlands, uh, you can enroll that at any time, and that's a non-competitive process. So there are opportunities, I guess, if anyone's interested in CRP or looking at it, uh, they should be contacting uh their local farm service agency office or NRCS office. We're going to be doing a lot of talking about the next farm bill, but the CRP has some challenges for that bill that's coming up. Can you talk about those? Yeah, conservation is a big uh, part of the farm bill every year, and CRP uh, has been part of every farm bill since 1985. And they've kind of... uh, 
change the numbers, maximum numbers over time. And right now, as I mentioned earlier, we're at 27 million. Now, some people would like to increase that, whereas other people uh, feel that's pretty appropriate. And one of the big discussions, I think, with the Farm Bill is where does CRP fit into the whole mix of you know, addressing climate change through carbon sequestration. And some of the push, of course, we saw last year in the Inflation Reduction Act, there was some money for climate smart agriculture. That was targeted more to the uh, environment equip program, as it's called, environmental quality incentives program, and the conservation security uh, program. Now, what those programs are, they're more targeted to ongoing farming practices. Uh, farmers still farming the land, but in introducing practices. So one of the big debates in the Farm Bill, I think, well, do they focus more on the ongoing type of things or the CRP program, which is taking land out of production and, uh, and, and uh, not farming the land. So there's going to be some... Uh, some big discussions around that. The other thing with CRP, um, in recent years, there's been a little challenge getting land enrolled in CRP because uh, <clears throat> of the limits placed on what they can pay for an annual rental rate. And so there's going to be some discussions, I think, maybe of increasing those rental rates to try and get more land into CRP. So conservation and CRP specifically will be a big part of the current ongoing discussion around the next farm bill. Can you talk a little bit about the grassland CRP? I guess I wasn't even uh, recognizing that this one was there. Well, grassland CRP is a rather newer initiative. Uh, doesn't get a lot of play in states like Minnesota and Iowa, but in the Plain states and some of the Western states, basically it allows uh, um, <clears throat> land to go into CRP under managed practices, but still allows some uh, structured grazing of that land. And that's very popular out where they have a lot of beef cattle, uh, beef cows that graze on rangeland and pastures. And uh, the number of acres has really grown in that program in recent years. Uh, used to be the general CRP probably had about three-fourths of the acres, and now it's down to about 40% of the acres with the remaining acres split between continuous CRP and, and grassland CRP. Now, continuous CRP has been quite popular in Minnesota. Of course, that dovetails in with uh, the the CREP program uh, and, you know, initiatives in Minnesota where they've targeted watersheds uh, through using CREP uh, with state initiatives as well as the federal CRP program. So the so-called RIM program in Minnesota, reinvest in Minnesota. So uh, that's one nice thing about CRP. They've been able to dovetail with some specialized state programs in states like Minnesota that have uh, a lot of natural resources to protect. All right, Kent, I think the last topic we're going to tackle today is, of course, all of the deadlines that are approaching for crop insurance for this year. Yeah, and <clears throat> big time, big deadline date uh, for farmers is March 15th. Uh, last week, they announced the final uh, spring base price or guarantee price for crop insurance at at five ninety one for corn and thirteen seventy six for soybeans, which are among the highest uh, in the last ever, I guess, uh, for those prices. And that means that 
farmers as they enroll in crop insurance can uh, uh, have a little uh, little more uh, risk management there, rest a little easier at night on protecting the value of their crop. And the deadline to sign up for crop insurance is March 15th through local crop insurance agents and take time to look at what you're protecting. And even if you spend a few extra dollars an acre, it might be worthwhile. Uh, March 15th is also the deadline to enroll in the 2023 farm program at farm service agency offices, FSA offices. And you don't want to miss this. Uh, if you, you, you have to enroll every year to be eligible. And right now, where prices are at, there's probably not a high likelihood of payments. But again, uh, uh, these prices are determined uh, at the end of this year in the 2024, and things can change. So again, uh, it, it doesn't cost anything, and it's, it's kind of a free safety net to uh, all f- crop farmers for corn and soybean producers to have a little extra protection out there. Okay, what do you think are the most important things to consider when making those decisions for insurance in 2023? Well, I think for crop insurance, uh, farmers really need to analyze, you know, what their risk is. Again, uh, input costs have went up. Uh, It's a uh, revenue protection crop insurance, which most farmers take gives you protection against yield reductions from weather, but also protects you against severe price drops. And certainly uh, to have that kind of protection, you're really protecting dollars per acre. And you can go up to 85% coverage with regular insurance. And there are some crop insurance options either through uh, the federal program or through private options to go up to 90% coverage or higher. So, And then a lot of farmers also uh, work with a crop insurance agent to add some hail coverage in case uh, covering against losses specifically from hail, or also look at wind coverage for corn. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, the call, so-called the racial storms with the high winds that have damaged corn. And so, uh, again, uh, there's a lot of different options out there. Best thing is sit down with a reputable insurance agent and go through all those various options and what's covered uh, for the dollar investment you make. I know that on one of your recent Focus on Ag newsletters, you had some good website information for people to go to. But if people are looking to get that kind of information right in their inbox every time you put one out, uh, you can go ahead and get signed up for Focus on Ag. Where do we do that? Right. I do send out a weekly Focus on Ag column uh, at no cost uh, via email. To get signed up, if you just uh, send me an email at kent.tc at minstarbank.com, we'll add you to the list. Or you can go uh, just Google the Minstar Bank, go to the website, and you can get the information there. Kent TC, thank you so much for Focus on Ag today. We're going to hope for perfect weather until the next time I talk to you in whatever uh, capacity that takes anybody that's listening. Perfect weather for you. (laughs) Maybe by the time we talk in early April, we'll be talking about uh, getting the planners ready to hit the field. I certainly hope so. We'll talk to you soon, Kent. Thank you.